What's up guys, welcome to the Meeple Minded Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things tabletop gaming. My name is Jason. And my name's Ian. And along with Paul in the newsroom, uh, join us as we bumble our way through the gaming industry. So pop the kettle on, grab a brew, and let's get on with today's episode. Indeedy, indeedy. I have my brew here, it's all ready to go. How are you today, Ian? Yeah, I'm not too bad. How are you? I'm not bad at all, I'm not bad. Um, yeah, it's good to be back. Um, it's been it's been an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, the past two <laughs> weeks, isn't it? <laughs> I would use the word more frustrating, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, frustrating does probably uh, meet the criteria of what it's been uh, a little bit better. But hey ho, we soldier on, and um, yeah, we had some contacts, didn't we, from one of your, you know, one of the the card gaming community. Yeah, people seem to enjoy last year our episode on generic terminology used within the industry and would like us to continue a bit further so we thought we'd start with the trading card game stuff and um, run through just uh, a little bit more on terminology used within trading card games or tcgs as your first one just to try and break down what people use um, and why and give you a better idea on what to expect when you're talking to a trading card game player and understand the language of what's being used. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, when I first stepped into the world of TCG, yeah, it, it becomes a minefield of acronyms and all sorts of terminology that just does, it doesn't mean anything to anyone who doesn't know what it means. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's another one of those things. I enjoyed doing the terminology one before, so to be asked to do one for card gaming was, it was a no-brainer, really. Yep. So... Me and Jason have come up with a list of sort of terminology. We put it into um, alphabetical order. So it's going to be a bit all over the place, but hey-ho. And there may be a couple that I think we've missed that I might try and segue in as and when we go along the list. So Yeah, there, there's always guaranteed to be ones that we've missed. So if you do you know, figure out that we've missed something, please do let us know and we'll try and correct that in the coming week. But without further ado, I think we should dive into this because there's a lot of terminology to go through on this one okay so we'll start off with one of the main ones you hear it quite a lot with various different types of games which is aggro so in the trading card context this is usually around deck archetypes um which in itself is uh um, terminology so the type of deck that you play will define what sort of strategy you have an aggressive deck or an aggro deck um, is trying to win the game as fast as possible by, you know, usually killing your opponent's cards. Um, Pokemon, you know, is obviously my go-to. Aggressive decks just want to knock out as many Pokemon as you can as quickly as you can. Don't really want to have to set things up quickly. Just literally charge out. Um, Magic also, um, the red deck archetypes usually are aggressive. Um, of cheap quick spells trying to chip away at your opponent as fast as possible um second one we move on to the bees and this one's not so much really a, a card game uh terminology it's you know you hear this in normal life as well especially if you're from the states uh but that's when someone gets a really bad beat yeah simple one this one you just had a load of bad luck good example for card games the luck-based element of any card game is you shuffle your deck of cards at the start and you draw cards out for whatever you're trying to achieve. You can, no matter how hard you try, even in things like poker and stuff, 
you you can get the wrong cards come out at the wrong time for you and just get beaten by you know luck and as this is labeled it is a bad beat i'm going to segue in a b that we have missed um that wasn't that i missed off the list and that is the um acronym bdif and that is for best deck in format Ah, and this comes yes. with all card games, and I was surprised that this wasn't on the list we got, but my bad. And basically, as you know, you play in different different formats, which we'll probably come across later in the in the um, lists. Um, they are defined on what type of game you're playing. Good example is uh, Magic and Pokemon. I know very well. Both run off of multiple format things. Standard is usually. Um, a particular set to another particular set usually spanning over about two or three year time frame um, so the best deck in the format is the best deck you that, that is doing well and performing well at that at given time with the sets available it's always rolling it's always changing as people notice more combinations of cards um, but it's worth noting that that's used quite a lot yes i have no idea how we forgot to put that on the list <laughs> <laughs> but I, I blame ian for this it, you know it, you know Card this games is, is his bag. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so moving on, starting back on the list, we get to board wipe. So this again, mainly known for Magic the Gathering, but some other games do use this. It's destroying all the creatures that are used on the board, um, or to clean out all of your cards your opponent has on the board. It's almost like resetting everything for for the game so that you can catch up. Certain styles of decks are designed to, with this in mind. You know, this is the complete opposite to an aggro deck. If, when you're faced against an aggro deck, you want to clear what they're trying to use as quickly as you can, and as efficiently as, efficiently as you can, so that, um, you still survive in the game long enough to control your opponent back down. Um, this one is a fairly common one as well. Uh, when someone refers to, uh, the body, so this is basically what are the stats like on your cards? Most people want a big bodied card, you know, like a big bodied creature or something in Magic Pokemon or Digimon. The higher the stats for the lusts, the the bigger body that they have. You know, high health and high attack damage often mean your thing's going to survive a long time and kill lots of things. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Big body essentially is your your more most powerful cards essentially. Yep. Um, this one, well, again, not particularly common, but I have heard it said quite a few times for various different games, uh, and that is Bomb. So this is the idea that you have a card that will have a large impact on the game, usually deciding its outcome. They're genuinely like really big spells or really big creatures or something that take you a while to get to, but the moment you get to play it, it normally sends the game in your favour. So it is like setting off a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so next one is Bounce. Uh, this is the ideal of returning cards back to um, the player's hands, both your own or your opponent. Some, A lot of card games like the come-into-a-play effect on their cards, so you get one good effect that happens when it, when it, re- it enters the game board. Um, so if you can return that to your hand, you get to do it again. You, you know, so it's 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 a way of recycling your cards um, and the terminology used to to do that. Okay, uh, this one this is a pretty pretty common thing, and that is burn. Yep. So this is in regards to dealing damage to a particular target. It's often referred to for Magic: The Gathering of um, 
like spells that literally deal X amount of damage, usually to the player rather than um, any of the things they have on the field. But other games can do this as well, of just literally trying to um, deal, you know, large points of damage to one particular thing. Okay, so next on the list, we're moving into the seas now. We are going to Cantrip. So you'll often hear this with things like Dungeons and Dragons and role playing as well as a really cheap reusable spell. Same thing applied to um, card games. It's a very inexpensive card, so like there are usually either free or one or two resources that give you a minor benefit, like a small amount of damage or drawing a card. The origin of the name for it, as I said, with the D&D style things, is a small trick or a small magic trick. Okay, so moving on, we move on to Card Advantage, and I think this one has some self-explanatory things to it, but also parts that you might not think about. Yeah, this is um, used in most games. The more cards you have available, the more options you have, and the quicker you can get to your overall goal in a game. Magic uses this... um, because drawing cards is actually a lot harder to do in Magic. Obviously, you draw a card at the start of every turn, but there are you, drawing cards can often be an expensive thing in Magic the Gathering. But when you the more cards you have, the more different options you have available to counter different strategies of your opponent. Pokemon, on the other hand, is the polar opposite. You Half the cards in the game are designed to draw you as many cards as possible, <laughs> literally to try and find the particular things you need to get your strategies out, You know, like your particular Pokemon evolved up. Um, that sort of thing. Same with Digimon. The cards that, when they evolve, let you draw cards or come into play, let you draw cards, help speed you into finding the particular things you need in a game. So card advantage is the more cards you have than your opponent, the better you more likely you are to your own strategy. Okay, so the next one is uh, is an interesting one. We have covered this, I believe, in the in the previous episode, but we're going to cover it again here, and that is CCG. What is CCG? It's a collectible card game. And then we'll refer to TCG at the same time, so we don't have to cover this later, yeah. is a trading card game. So the difference is just the, the cards are designed. Like trading card games are Magic, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Digimon. Um, you know, They're all designed as randomized booster packs that you're likely to want to have to trade with people to get you know, the cards you need for the particular decks you want to play. Collectible card games tend to come more as just um, continuous booster packs of things coming out, but they'll always be the same things in the booster packs, you know, so it's a bit easier off the shelf sort of type thing. Okay, moving on. Clock. Well, I'm pretty sure this is uh, exactly self-explanatory, isn't it? Yeah, it's just um, how many turns it takes doing it takes to defeat your opponent or be defeated. Like sometimes you can see that someone's got a card building up where you've got a one or two turn clock for example means you've got one or two turns to be able to win otherwise you're guaranteed to lose okay so moving on we're going to move on to constructed so surely every deck that you play with is constructed isn't it in a way so i'm going to stick with this um you know i mentioned about the different types of formats earlier things like standard is a constructed format um so you will enter that a tournament into that format with a pre-built deck that you have made yourself and you enter, you know, with a listed deck um, as as you have built. There is other formats. I think the list is limited, where you um, get booster packs of cards and things and build them as you go. You know, at the start of the tournament. These are constructed tournaments are where you've already built your deck in advance. Moving on, it's back to deck types now as we move on to control. Yep. So the next two um, things in our list are to do with these uh, with deck archetypes control archetypes 
these are um I've got to be careful how I word this because some people take a very negative look at control, but it's a valid way of winning games. For control in its name, these are the ways where you win games by taking control of the game, usually by preventing the other player from, um, you know, performing the actions they need to do. Um, I actually did really well a couple of years back with a control variant of a Pokemon deck that stopped my either of player being able to play trainer cards while slowly chipping away when they can't do anything about that problem. Mm. Did this type of deck used to be referred to as a manipulation deck? Possibly. I've not really heard it in that sort of terms, but it's the same sort of thing. Um, control in magic is all designed with things like counter cards or enchantments that stop certain cards, types of cards working, which will shut down your opponent's way of um, playing the game. Same when we mentioned board wipes earlier. That's usually part of a control deck to just shut down what your opponent's doing at the time, wipe their board, reset everything, and keep them, and then generally have one sort of way of winning the game that comes out a lot later in the game. Okay, so this is one that I do hear quite a lot of, and this covers for most games, um, and that is to play a counter, or in this particular instance, referred to as a counter deck. So, counter decks, every format you'll find particular decks start doing well. You know, we've already mentioned that so far today. But these decks will all have their own weaknesses. You know, there's no invincible cards out there that mean you just cannot, um, you, you know, you cannot lose sort of thing. So good example with Pokemon. Every Pokemon has a weakness. So you'll find if one deck archetype often gets good, shortly after someone will find a counter deck of the Pokemon that, you know, type that that's weak against. For example, if a dark deck gets big, you'll usually find a fighting deck shortly follows. Yeah. And then someone will find a psychic deck or something to counter that, etc., etc. Um, these decks are usually really good against the top deck that's out there, but have huge weaknesses to other decks that can appear from time to time. Cool. Um, so you find this uh, it actually the next one comes under multiple different categories, but we we've singled it down to just the one word, which is curve. And the ones that you will think of, other than that, are things like mana curve, cost curve, things like that. So this is in reference to games with resources. Your it's how um, how you've manipulated your deck, you know, and built your deck uh, so that as you gain more resources as the game goes on, you can spend them on the better cards. So for example, you might want more low cost cards that you can play earlier in the game, while you build up to less of the bigger cost cards. Um, all, all decks and all games do this. Digimon being one of the more recent examples, Digimon itself runs off of a memory system, which is quite a cool mechanic in itself. But the Digimon evolve, you know, and you don't want to have to be playing them just outright onto the board because it's an expensive way of doing it. So the decks that want to hit their level 6, level 7 Digimon need to have lower counts of the higher end cards because you still you still need to be able to find the stages underneath to play. So you'll find that will almost be on the cost curve side of things, of needing more rookie level 3 Digimon to then slightly less level 4s, slightly less level 5s, like level 6 to your top end. Um, you know, same with like Magic the Gathering, a mana curve. You want a fair few one-cost cards or two-cost cards to play on your first few turns, but you don't want like a full deck of like massive like eight-cost cards because you can do nothing for the first eight turns, you know. And you may well even lose in that time. So, yeah, moving on to the E's, we are now on to Evasion. 
So and it's fairly self-explanatory. It's an ability or feature on a card or usually on a creature to try and avoid um, harm or make it difficult to get past your defences in a game. Okay, so this one is a, well, a big family favourite, shall we say, in the Pokemon uh, game, and that is <laughs> Fetch or Fetching. Yeah, so this is, again, fairly self-explanatory. A card or an ability on something that allows you to search your deck and retrieve specific cards. Quite rare in some games, really common in others. Pokemon, as mentioned, is one of the ones where half the cards in the game are designed to search for a particular type of card to speed it up, as Pokemon requires evolving in, you know, specific things, and it was the only way of that game to counter that problem. Um, things like Magic, it's a much difficult, much more difficult to just go searching through your deck for a particular card. And again, most games I've seen, there's very few things. It's usually an expensive ability to be able to go and find particular things out of your deck. And uh, moving on to the next one, this one is, uh, I think this one's been stolen from one of my other loves, which is professional wrestling, and that is to perform a finisher. Pretty self-explanatory. Once you get the right cards or the right pieces, it's it's how the last thing you need to do to to end a game or win a game normally. You have big cards in your deck or combos of cards that almost guarantee you that win there and then. Okay, moving on, I'm going to skip to G now. And that means we are going to be going face. What the hell does going face mean? So that is more of a Magic the Gathering term. Um, this is uh, aiming at you directly at your opponent, ignoring everything else they have on the board. Some other board games and card games use this, but again, I think as we've noticed now, my three games that I know on the trading card game front inside out are Magic, Pokemon, and Digimon. But yeah, this is the idea of the game-winning thing is knocking your opponent's health down to zero. So this just ignores everything else and going face is the quickest way to do that. So moving on, the next one is going infinite. And now I do know this one um, and I've seen it happen a few times and I think it's a horrible thing to do. Yep. So this is when your combo is able to be repeated indefinitely until you choose to stop. It's also sort of referred to as looping and stuff like that. So it's often a way of winning the game. I've also even seen digital versions of card games having to ban cards purely because going infinite can take so long to do things on a game until you get to a point of, you know, with so many clicks you needed to just achieve that point where you get what you were actually looking for. But yeah, it's basically sort of something in a real life game, you might say, I can do this 50 times to get 50 damage, I win the game, that sort of thing, and prove the loop that you can do. But when you're trying to do this on a, um online version of a game, it can be much harder to just do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and a subset of this, just to save us having to go through it again, there's also the terminology of going off, which is when a combo um, plays that will win the game. Going infinite is often a sub, you know, is usually a subset of going off. So yeah, that goes. That takes us through the G's. Moving on to the I's now, and that is in response. Lots of games use this. So this is normally like a priority thing of when a player does an action, there is usually a lot of games that allow a response action to quickly occur (laughs) in response, (laughs) you know, just to activate an ability or cast another spell quickly or something like that. Okay, Ian covered the next one earlier, so I don't think he needs to go into this one. That is the limited style of games. Um do you want to say any more? Yeah, just a quick run through. This is the opposite where like a draft or something, which is something we haven't actually mentioned. You know, it's a game style where you can play with um, cards you're provided rather th- rather than stuff you've brought to the tournament. 
So you might get given six packs of a card game and told to build a deck from that. Or you might do pass around things where you open up one of your packs, take a card, pass them around until the packs have gone and go and build a deck that way. And then you play like a fun tournament. Pre-releases for most games tend to be what's called a sealed um, limited event where you just get X amount of packs, go and build a deck and then play a little mini tournament afterwards just to enjoy the cards you've got. Short and simple. Love it. Okay, next one I don't love so much, but unfortunately this is something that plagues every single tabletop game as well, especially my love of wargaming, and that is the meta game. Is the meta game any different in card gaming, Ian? Nope, same thing. You work out what's big. Um, so it's the game outside the game. You work out what's most popular and what's big in the format and work out what you're going to play in trying to beat them. So if you know there's like a triangle of decks, you know, deck A beats B, B beats C, C beats A, you've got to hope and play and guess on which is going to be the most popular one on the day and play the counter to it. Okay, so moving on, what's a mid-range deck? So these are, um, ironically, the balance between the aggro and the control that we mentioned earlier. So you want... I suppose like almost a standardized deck you want to survive the early turns and have enough to keep yourself going and then you just want to keep pumping stuff out like in the mid game with like average reasonable cost costed cards that can keep um keep you stabilized and keep you winning and occasionally cope with the bigger stuff from the um the end game sort of thing okay so i brought this one up at um earlier running chat and yeah I, I think i was totally wrong about it so ian what is a mana sink so mana sink is something you can spend all your mana on when you start to have a lot more than you'd normally need so good examples like magic the gathering if you can play a land every turn once you're hitting like turn 10 to turn 12 if you've been lucky and got had lands coming out you know for every single one of those turns there aren't many cards in Magic that require more than like six on average. So you may have something that's got like a X cost that you can make it bigger or do lots more damage by having spare mana available. And there was called a mana sink or a mana dump. Um, so you um, want something big that you can just drop. Um, so when you're not just playing all your cheap spells. Okay, so the next one I've heard too quite a few times, and that is a mill. Almost every TCG has at least one mill deck. Most games say if you can't, um, if your deck runs out, then you lose. You know, depending on the order of the turn and when that happens. Mill decks are designed to um, uh, remove cards from the top of your opponent's decks into their um, graveyards or discard piles, whatever you want to call them, um, to try and win the game. Originally came from the name came from like uh, the millstone sort of way of seeing things of grinding people out of games in Magic. But, um, you know, I've seen Pokemon decks use this. You just want to play cards that just make um, your opponent discard as many cards as possible so they don't get to do anything. Indeed, yes. And um, quite the opposite of that, in fact. And this is something that has transposed over to other games as well. And that is a mulligan uh, system. What, what does that mean? Right. So a lot of games, as we said earlier, like the luck-based side of gaming, is you start the game with X amount of cards. But if you don't have the right sort of cards that you need at the start, some games allow you a free mulligan or mulligans at the start, which is where you can replace your initial hand and draw a new hand of cards. Magic's way of balancing this is every time you do that, you um, get one less card to start the game. Pokemon has a forced mulligan because you have to start with a basic Pokemon. 
So if you don't, you shuffle and draw again, but your opponent allows is allowed to have an extra card every time you do it. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm actually a big fan of Mulligan uh, Mulligan systems in games. It, it does help move the game along a little bit faster, but I also appreciate that we games need to install a way of basically not allowing you to burn through your entire deck to find the cards you want before you even start. So, yeah. Otherwise, games would just tell you pick X amount of cards from your deck to start the game, and it would be dull. <laughs> so yeah, uh, Mulligans is is a love hate thing, I think, amongst gamers. But I think something that definitely swings far more towards the hate side of things is our next one, which is net decks and net decking. So I'm old enough, and I've been playing card games long enough to have been around when net decking wasn't such an easier thing. The term basically comes from finding a, a competitive deck from the internet. And nowadays it's common practice that you see a tournament, you see what does well, people copy the deck that wins. And that is net decking. You copy the deck list from an established list that people have tried, tested, ironed out, and then learn to play that. The easy way of of winning games. Okay, so obviously this is something that most games have as well, and that is phases. So these are the different steps in a turn uh, that a game has allowing you to do different things. I'm going to continue and use Digimon and Magic for this. Like Digimon has its raising phase where you deal with your um, Digitama and like the baby section first. Then you have your draw step. Then your main phase of, you know, building everything up, that sort of thing. Magic's the same. It's a little bit more complicated. You have an untap step where you just refresh all your cards. You have your upkeep, then a draw, a main phase, an attack, a second main phase, discard and then end all those different phases you know in each of those phases you can do something different in okay so moving on rapidly we move on to play set so a lot of games require um have a limit of cards of what you can have uh, most games it's four copies of any named card digimon's slightly different it's four copies of any numbered card but yeah you only allowed four copies of those cards in most decks so a playset would be the four cop you know the four copies you own um okay so moving on this is another one that is very heavily used within the magic the gathering community and that is ramping yeah but we can refer it to most you know any games that use a lot of resources including pokemon it's just it's not referenced as ramping much is um how quickly can you speed up the resources you need in play good example is um magic gathering you can play one land a turn but then you can use those lands to play cards that let you put more lands into play same with pokemon you've got its class as energy acceleration but every pokemon needs energy cards attached to it to attack or retreat so you want cards that can attach your energies quicker so you're ramping up the speed in which you can maximize your resources okay so the next one is a rogue deck so this is the opposite to a net deck this is where people sort of like appear at a tournament with um, something they've homebrewed, specifically tailored to the metagaming um, and being unknown or under-tested or people just sort of written decks off. And that's then classed as a rogue deck of sort of like sneaking in there. And sometimes these decks only work once. You know, if you've spotted something that would, has an obvious counter to it, but no one's playing that counter... You can appear at a tournament and do really well once, but then everyone will find make sure there's a counter available for in case people try to do it again. So yes, moving on to game staples. So again, similar to the playset thing, these are the cards that everyone should have the playsets of. Pokemon, it's normally your staples are trainer cards and 
support Pokemon that allow you to draw cards. But, you know, all games have cards that are, if you're playing this color or this type of deck, you need four of this card sort of thing. So they're the type of cards that get used repeatedly and lots lots of the time. A lot of staples may well be in, in Pokemon, for example. You might get Pokemon, which are staples. And that's generally because they have this next thing, which is swinging for X. So what is swinging for X? This is when you attack with your creatures, with X being the amount of total damage they've done. So a good example, the easiest one for this is like Magic Gathering. If you tap, say, three different creatures, and between them they give you nine damage, so you're swinging for nine. Perfect, perfect. And you even moved on to our second one there as well, which is tap. Lots of games um, have active abilities or ways to show that they're being used. Um, this is called tapping, and you often turn the card sideways just uh, to show that it has been used and activated this turn. Lots of games give you the option between, like, tapping a creature to attack or attacking them to de- you know tapping them to defend you know which limits what you can do or that you can't defend with a tapped creature because it's exhausted that type of thing okay next one is a tech card so this is a card with a very narrow um effect that's only good in certain conditions but as i mentioned earlier it's required to keep you to survive against certain um matches and things good example is you may have one or two copies of a Pokemon that stops certain other types of Pokemon being able to hit you, you know, so you can completely shut down an entire deck if they haven't got a counter to that. You know, it's little one-option cards that sometimes may define a game if you could find them, but you don't want a full set of them because most of the time they won't do what you require, you know, anything useful to you. Okay, so we are starting to get towards the end of the list now, so not much longer, but we've got a few more to go. And the next one is um, referred to in a few different ways. You've got ramping up the tempo, um, you know, bringing the tempo in the game down, or just having the tempo. So what does tempo really mean? Tempo means, like, basically, who's in the driving seat of a game? You know, tempo can exchange as the game goes on. Um but whoever in control is in control of the tempo of a game controls the game flow. So I might be playing a card and you're reacting to it. That means I have the tempo of the game. I have the control of the pace. I have the lead in the game almost. You know, the flow is in my favor. If you can tip that tempo back in the, your favor, then suddenly I'm on the reactionary defensive sort of stance trying to catch back up again. So tempo is something you want in a game where you know you're ahead and you're feeling a bit more comfortable with the game state. Okay, moving on. Um, person that would usually be in the driving seat tends to have what is referred to as a tier one deck, but there's also things like tier two, tier three, tier four, so on and so forth. So what is a tiered deck? So tiered system for decks is um, w- when you get a deck archetype, you know, like I play my Pikachu VMAX deck in Pokemon or I play my WarGreymon deck in Digimon. Where does that fit in regards to the meta? Tier one are the decks that are doing the best. They are the top of the meta. Tier D, you might, you know, or tier four or something like that. You might be lucky if you win a game. You know, it's it's what's doing well. And people sort of split things into a tiered system because some decks are good but not quite good enough. You know, um, so it's and the decks don't always stay in the same tiers. It depends what cards come out or what people work out for counters and things. But it, it mulls around having all this information now of who's played what in tournaments all, all available on the internet gives people a wider range of what's 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 in there and what is the top deck. 
And yeah, you just moved on to the next one, which is indeed top deck. Is there a, a, a more detailed description of what a top deck is? So there's two meanings for this. One is, like I've just said, what is the top deck to play at the moment? But the more trading card element of this is every time you do every game, you tend to draw cards. So you get to a point where you just need to hope that the cards you draw are the right ones. Sometimes when you um, a card you draw is like immediately the thing that wins you the game or just what you're after, it's known as top decking that card. You need that to be on the top of your deck so you can draw it quickly. Uh, the next one is an interesting one because obviously we are talking about trading card games. Yet the next one is actually trade, and it has nothing to do with the name of the type of game. So what does trade mean with regards to gameplay? So this is often used with the creatures in Magic the Gathering. It's the easiest example for this. But this is when both players lose creatures in combat. Knowing when to trade and not when not to trade your creatures is crucial. You might sometimes prefer just to take damage to yourself outright. If you've got a 3-3 creature, you know, 3 toughness, 3 health, and so does your opponent, you know if you're going to attack, they'll defend and it'll wipe both creatures out. So that is called a trade. And uh, the next one is actually kind of a derivative earlier of one that we can't covered earlier with the card advantage but this one is actually two for one i'm pretty sure i know what this one means yeah it's a self-explanatory thing it's when you manage to remove two or more of your opponent's cards usually for the cost of one of your own and again it's a common way to gain the card advantage and that that we mentioned earlier in the video earlier in the podcast you know you want at the end of the day to um, be playing cards that give you the biggest benefit um, overall like even in Pokemon, if you can attack for a Pokemon that might kill itself but can take down two of your opponents, you, you're still gaining an advantage out of it, so it's still worth the sacrifice. Okay, so moving on, uh, the next one is all evolved around a meta game, which we've already covered earlier. But basically, what what is card utility? So this is a card that has a valuable in multiple situations, hence good for the meta. So um, I mentioned, I think, even earlier about utility Pokemon Um you know, good example is things like Crobat V and Pokemon. It lets you draw cards. It's just good in any deck. It doesn't matter if you're not playing a dark deck. It's it's good regardless. Um, and so you'll find utility cards end up in most decks because they have the widest range of being used. And another term that has a wide range of being used is actually our next one. Now, this appeared twice on our list, and I ignored the one earlier because... Where there was two of us writing the list, we both put different things down, so it just shows how basically the same thing goes down as two different names. But that is vanilla, and it's also known as French vanilla. So this is literally a card with no rules text, only a name and text on it. You know, you might get a creature in Magic that is literally two mana, two damage, one tough, you know, two health, one toughness, or something like that. You know, just a bog standard card doesn't do anything special, no special abilities. They're often usually slightly better statted cards than um, uh, an equivalent with an ability, and they often fill the common on uncommon slots. Something we haven't mentioned is rarity, which I'll just quickly cover is all card games tend to have rares, commons, uncommons, and then other sorts of varying harder to find cards. But the commons, as given in the name, often aren't as good and aren't as utilized as the rares or mythics or expensive cards that you get at the other end. So vanilla cards are just a bog standard ones that literally have decent stats and don't do anything else. Okay, guys, so that is our list for today. Is there anything on this list that we have missed? Is there anything Probably. that we have uh, <laughs> that we have got <laughs> drastically wrong? If we have, blame Ian, he's the card game player. 
Yeah. So, of all those things that we just went through, Ian, is there any there that you find that you use quite regularly or maybe ones that you've never even heard of before? There's a couple in there, but it depends on the games you're looking at. You know, for example, me with Magic the Gathering, I've only really got interested in that in the last few years. So the terminology can still be fairly new to me. And, you know, like Pokemon, there's other terminology of different bits and pieces we haven't covered. Um, you know, just a quick few for people of interest. Donk's a word that you don't get in many card games, but you do in Pokemon when you can take an opponent out on the first turn of a game when they've got no Pokemon left to bring out. You know, so um, there are card game specific terminology. I'm just trying to see, having a quick look around if there's anything else. Um, whiffing's another one that you might hear quite a lot where you, um, you drew cards that didn't go your way. You know, so you, you needed to draw something or you needed to play something that let you flip a coin to determine what if, whether it worked or not and you got the wrong result that you didn't need. And one other thing is rotation. We mentioned about sets earlier. Sets rotate, um, where some are allowed and some aren't. So that's something else you might hear. But it, you know, loads of games have, lo- you know, all, all the games have their own sets of terminology and slang that go with them as well. And we'd be here for hours if we were to cover everything. So you may well end up seeing us do yet another one of these at some point in the future if you guys ask for it. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, that f- is where we're going to leave it for today, I think, with regards to TCG terminology. Um, yeah. If you, if you do want to contact us about any of these, or if you have any questions, we're more than happy to answer them as well. Just contact us on one of the social media platforms. You can find us Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, just search for Meeple Minded Media. But other than that, I think it's time that we send across to our man in the news shed. So over to you, Paul. Yo, Brian. Did you hear what Ian called me last week after their Toy Story chat? I know, pork chop. I always thought myself as more of a uh, Mr. Potato Head, to be honest. I hope you popped over and pooped in his shoes for me like you said you would. Nice. Anyway, what did you and Darcy get up to for Valentine's Day? For those of you not in the know, Brian's girlfriend is called Darcy. She's a hedgehog. Yeah, I know, it's getting more and more like old McDonald's farm in here every week. Oh yeah, very nice. Okay. Yeah, it's alright, you can stop there. It is a family show. Me? Well, the wife and I had a somewhat unusual day. I bought her some flowers, some chocolates, a card, some washing up gloves and a pretty awesome new scrubbing brush. Well, she loved some of them. Oh, and then we had to take our old mattress to the dump. Sorry, recycling centre. Do you know what she did? She actually asked the attendant what section she needed to put me in. I know, rude, right? But then the attendant said the husband's skip was full and to just put me in with a general household waste. Exactly. With these guns, I should easily have been put in with the scrap metal. Yeah, I suppose you're right. I really should get on with the news. Right, news this week that has surprised both ourselves and the general board gaming community as a whole is the acquisition of Board Game Arena by publishing giants Asmodee. Those not familiar with Board Game Arena, where on earth have you been? And secondly, you can still join the party, so come on down. Board Game Arena is a board game simulator alongside similar platforms such as Tabletop Simulator and Tabletopia, but with the main difference being that Board Game Arena can be played from within an internet browser window 
rather than a specific standalone program. Personally, Board Game Arena is a slight edge over the likes of Tabletopia and Tabletop Simulator as the former has rules and mechanics in place to play through whilst adhering to the game's rules, whereas the latter requires knowledge of the game's rules and more hands-on with the game's components. Board Game Arena also boasts tutorials for many of its games. The popularity of board game simulators, especially in 2020, has soared, with Board Game Arena experiencing an increase of 600%. Yep, 600. Not just because of the increased spotlight and enjoyment of the board gaming community as a whole, but also because many of us have been in some kind of COVID-19 related lockdown over the last year. Essentially, such sites let us play board games virtually with friends we may be separated from. Board Game Arena provides versions of over 250 games, which do include Asmodee favourites such as Carcassonne, Jarpur and Seven Wonders as well as many others. The move has been considered natural as the teams have known each other for a long time, and doing so will support the continuous growth and development of the simulator. Gregory Isabelli and Emmanuel Collin, board game founders, comment, Working with Asmodee allows us to continue our massive growth, with a partner that shares our love and passion for board gaming. Asmodee fulfills a non-criteria for us, that Board Game Arena is always run by absolute board game fans, with core business in board games. Thomas Kogler, head of strategy at Asmodee, added, Our growth is based on one crucial commitment, offer the best gaming experience to consumers and bring our brands to the widest possible audience. Having a platform that allows players all over the world to meet, play their favourite games together or discover new games is a natural fit alongside our amazing catalogue of board games. Skull and Splendor will be in the coming weeks the first of a long list of Asmodee releases. As mentioned, talking to members of our various groups and fans of the show, the news has come as a big surprise, and to some, not a welcome one. But news from the Asmodee group confirms Board Game Arena will remain independent and the current management will continue. Board Game Arena's basic features and a small selection of games is free, although access to a large majority of the games requires a premium membership for a small fee. And when I say small, we mean small. That's been confirmed not to change either. For just a monthly fee of £3.99, I mean, what's that? The price of a posh coffee somewhere? Sorry, I don't drink the stuff. It gives you full access, removing advertising, adding in-game voice chat alongside access to the full and ever-growing catalogue of games. Given the quality of games on Board Game Arena, we look forward to seeing even more brought to it as top titles from Asmodee will be added. Scalpers are hard at work cornering a secondary market centred on McDonald's new promotion with a Pokemon trading card game and a change in how the fast food chain sells its toys isn't helping matters. Last week, McDonald's franchises across the world started selling Happy Meals that included a 25th anniversary Pokemon TCG Booster Pack as their toy. This pack differs from normal sets in that it includes four cards from a set of 25 depicting the starter Pokemon from each of the in-game regions, plus a Pikachu. Each pack of four also includes one foil card along with sticker sheets, activity pages or a buildable card box, all packaged in cardboard envelopes embellished with illustrations of the cheeky yellow mouse. 
As often happens with limited promotional cards, scalpers immediately moved into the resale of these cards on aftermarket sites such as eBay, Craigslist and local Facebook marketplaces. A quick search shows foil singles going for anywhere between $5 and $70, whilst unopened boxes, each containing 150 promotional boosters and seemingly obtained directly from McDonald's distributors, begin around $700 and easily reach four-digit opening bids. Collectors and fans are crying foul, pointing at this ongoing fleecing as another instance of scalpers clearing Pokemon TCG products from the shelves of big box retailers and local game stores. Joe Merrick, owner and operator of popular Pokemon fan site Cerebi, wrote a Twitter thread Wednesday morning relating past anecdotes of the fallout from widespread scalping and its continued effect on the hobby. Players, collectors, fans and the young audience are being driven out due to this insatiable desire for profit. I'm seeing so many just stop playing, stop collecting because they don't see the point. Please, don't buy from scalpers and don't buy out all the stock. Think of other people too. With many a video game making its way to a tabletop near you lately, with the likes of Space Invaders, Fallout, Bloodborne, Horizon Zero Dawn and the recently announced Monster Hunter, it's no surprise when we get another. Polish game publisher Go On Board has announced a deal with video game developer CD Projekt Red to release a new board game set in the world of The Witcher. The Witcher, Old World, designed by Go On Board co-founders Lukasz Wozniak, who's been responsible for Kickstarter successes such as Titans and Valhalla. Lucas quoted, In The Witcher, Old World, you become a Witcher, a professional monster slayer, and immerse yourself in the legendary universe of The Witcher franchise. Set years before the saga of Geralt of Rivia, The Witcher, Old World explores a time when monsters roam the continent in greater numbers, creating a constant peril that required the attention of expertly trained monster slayers, known as Witchers. Five competing schools trained their adepts through brutal regimes, and once fully prepared, these now-recognized witches set off to explore the land, seeking trouble and adventures, and helping others for coin. In this competitive adventure board game, two to five players travel across a vast map, embarking on masterfully penned quests, encountering and making ambiguous moral choices, fighting monsters, and sometimes brawling with other witches to defend their school's honour. The game lets players construct their own unique decks of cards by choosing from a wide range of abilities, attacks, dodges, and witcher combat magic known as signs. Through card synergy, players aim to achieve a powerful combo as they utilise their witcher's school's hallmark abilities to their full potential. Quests, Battles and even dice poker allow each player to earn money, obtain new items and train their skills. You begin with a deck of 10 cards specific to your school. Various opportunities in the game allow you to gain or lose cards, trying to build combos and advance your skills. Each card has its own colour. The more cards you play and link together, the more powerful your combo. The first player to acquire 4 to 6 trophies, with a number being set at the start of play, wins the game instantly. You can obtain trophies by killing monsters, instigating and winning chaotic tavern brawls against other witches, training attributes to their highest level, and resolving certain quests throughout the adventure. The game has already had some positive reviews from various sources, but no word as yet on a release. With Lucas's last two being Kickstarter launches, we're going to bet this one will too. We shall keep you updated. And we're heading on over to crowdfunding now. 
And the first game up is Cora Quest. It's for one to four players. It takes 45 to 60 minutes. It's for eight to six and up. And it actually ends this week on Friday, on February 19th. And the base set is just £30. Cora Quest is an exciting and accessible cooperative dungeon crawling game for one to four people aged six and up. In Cora Quest, the players work together to guide four adventurers exploring a dungeon, avoiding traps, finding treasure, fighting monsters, and sometimes rescuing a gnome named Kevin. Cora Quest is a game that kids and grown-ups can play together and get equal amounts of fun from. It's also a game that sparks creativity, providing encouragement and guidance on how to create heroes, monsters and adventures to make Cora Quest your own. The game itself has been designed and self-published by father Dan Hughes and his eight-year-old daughter Cora during lockdown. All the artwork in Cora Quest is based on both Cora's drawings as well as kids' drawings sent in from all over the world by the wonderful Cora Quest community. The art was then brought together by Chief Colorer in Gary King to make a unique and charming looking game. Next up, Human Punishment The Beginning is for 3 to 6 players, it takes 2 to 3 hours, is 14 plus rated, and ends on February 24th. The core game is £49 and the deluxe version is £79. Human Punishment The Beginning is a standalone game and the prequel to Human Punishment Social Deduction 2.0 and it is a semi-cooperative social deduction and pick up and deliver hybrid. Humanity is nearing its end. The machines are on the verge of seizing control after making evil plans in the shadows over the years. Only Ghost, a special government unit, can oppose the machine revolution but it seems the whole city is conspiring against them. Become a part of Ghost and fight for the survival of your kind, no matter which one it may be. There are also Outlaws, Fallen and Legion just as in Human Punishment and every faction works for their own goals. Three to six players try to avoid the secret machine revolution but machine spies are everywhere and they try to corrupt the human players. The game features a new mechanic called CWS, Connecting World System, which gives you the option to combine Human Punishment at the beginning with Human Punishment Social Deduction 2.0 to experience an epic theme night with your own outcome. Fight machines, build Apex, avoid Deus Ex Machina, and don't become corrupted by machines. Rewrite the history for humanity. And last up in crowdfunding this week is the One Ring role-playing game 2nd Edition, and this one ends on March 4th. Digital files for the 2nd Edition start at £26, rising through four tiers, mixing both digital and physical assets through to the My Precious pledge of £105. The One Ring is a role-playing game based on The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, two extraordinary works of fiction by the beloved author and respected academic J.R.R. Tolkien, published in partnership with Sophisticated Games. First released in 2011, its award-winning design was hailed as the best attempt at bringing Middle-earth to the gaming table to date. Thanks to its thematic rules and painstaking attention to detail, for 10 years, players of the game have travelled far and wide across Middle-earth, adventuring for multiple decades of game time. Today, it is time for the game to enter a new era. This new edition of The One Ring brings players further into the twilight of the Third Age with a new hardbound volume, presenting 
a set of updated and streamlined rules developed thanks to years of players' feedback and raising the game to standards of quality that have made free leagues so popular. A new setting to experience, the lone lands of Ereador in the year 2965 of the Third Age. This is a vast land that once saw the glory of the North Kingdom of Dundane. This is a complete visual redesign of art and graphics offering a view of Middle-earth that is fresh and familiar at the same time. And event news now, and Aircon has been rebranded Aircant. Described in its announcement as perhaps inevitable, the 2021 Aircon, due to take place in April, has been cancelled, and organisers were unable to find a suitable date to rearrange. Instead, they hope to return to Harrogate Convention Centre next year, 11th to the 13th of March 2022. The annual convention celebrates analogue gaming, being one of the last tabletop conventions to take place in the UK before lockdowns began last year. While many conventions are heading online, Aircon isn't doing so. However, it's converting to Aircon. This encourages people to play games and get involved over the weekend of the 16th to the 18th of April. There'll be a dedicated website offering links to exhibitor pages, online gaming platforms and media links. Plus, there'll be a board game quiz on Friday the 16th of April and a charity giveaway event the following day, hosted on Facebook Live. The latter event is a replication of the annual charity draw at Aircon, with the previous year raising over £3,500. This year, proceeds will go to the NHS charities together. You can join in with Aircon as more details come through, initially by using the hashtag Aircon in your social media interactions, by liking the Facebook page, arrange games through the community group, keep an eye on the website itself, and even buying Aircon slash Aircon merchandise. Also at time of recording, Renegade Game Studios, Renegade Con, is currently still on, so we'll hopefully be bringing you some news on that next week. Our local groups are always around during the week via Discord and Zoom, playing games on Tabletop Simulator and Board Game Arena, as well as Tabletopia. Mondays, you can head on over and join Jason, Ian and the Crawley Gaming community, who chat via their Discord server, before deciding where to game, usually on Tabletop Simulator. But fear not if you don't own it, as they usually stream it via Discord, so you can sit and watch and get in on the chats and giggles. And there is plenty of giggles. Lewis Board Gaming Group slash Trinity Gaming Cafe are online on Thursdays as are worthy board gamers, usually chatting via Zoom, so pop on over to their relative Facebook pages for links. Also, my brother Mark has also set up a new Facebook group helping to organise games using the Tabletopia platform. If you'd like to be involved, then pop on over to Facebook and join the Tabletopia Facebook group to jump into any games they have planned during the week. With that, it brings us to yet another end of the week in this rabbit hole we call Tabletop Gaming. We shall return next week to bring you some more of the same, or maybe something even better. You never know. Look after yourself, meeples. Stay safe and keep those dice rolling. Say goodbye, Brian. And it's the same from me. Until next week, meeples. Goodbye. Thanks for that, Paul, and thank you guys for joining us once again for another episode of the Meeple Minded Podcast. We are going to sign off for today, unless, Ian, have you got anything else you want to add? No, just hope that everyone stays well and stays safe at the moment. Indeed, indeed. I think we all need to be doing that. Hopefully we'll be back playing games in person very soon, but until then, we will be here every single week, as always, talking about everything tabletop gaming.
Thanks very much for joining us, guys. We will see you next week. And uh, yeah, stay well, stay safe, game safe, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye. See you later.